Hi, everybody. Uh, we're here with a special episode or segment, depending on how long this goes, of True North Nerds. Um, my guest at this time has spent uh, a portion of his career as the head writer of WWE SmackDown, but has gone on to be a fairly successful screenwriter with uh, recently, most, most recently making the Script Labs uh, list of emerging screenwriters for 2017. He's also the co-host of the VIP Lounge with the Ronin of Pro Wrestling MVP. And next week, he will be working behind the scenes at MLW's One Shot in Orlando, Florida. His name is Alex Greenfield, and he's sitting on the Skype line across... Um, where are you exactly, Alex? I'm, I'm actually not too terribly far away. I'm down in uh, southern Vermont in the States. Oh, okay. So you get similar weather to, the, to us then. Yeah, although right now we've had like four days of really hot summer days. It's like been the best days of the summer as soon as fall came around. Oh, so uh, I'm doing I'm doing all right right now. I'm sitting on the porch enjoying myself. Yeah, it's it's been the same up here. It's been crazy. We had better August weather in the last week than we did for the entirety of August. Oh, for sure. It's uh, and I will take every bit of it I can get because, as you well know. It does turn true north up in this neck of the woods. <laughs> oh, Lord, yeah. It's, uh, I still got to get a new snowblower. Mine crapped out on me last year. So. Oh, man, no, I'm about to have to go. Uh, when when I get off with you, I'm heading down to get our snow tires uh, uh, picked out for, uh, I don't know, mid-October or so. I get to start using the nails in my tires. It'll be great. <laughs> So, um, what uh, the re- part of the reason I uh, tried to arrange this interview is uh, next week you're going to be involved with the MLW One Shot. Um, you've done time as a head writer for a major <laughs> wrestling <laughs> done promotion. Time is the right word. <laughs> I, I'm just going by how um, I have heard you and Court and numerous other writers describe the uh, the, the process of being uh, working at uh, the WWE over the years of different podcasts. And it sounds like it, it sounds a little like prison, to be honest. <laughs> a lot of people are glad when they get out. And there's a lot of people there who are lifers. So. Uh, there are fewer who are lifers. Uh, uh, it seems like I, Court and I did a uh, Court Bauer and I did a count one time. And I think in the year and a half or so that I was at WWE, 21 members of the creative team came in and out just over the course of the year and a half I was there. And then you think about guys like Lagana and Gewurz and and Ed Kosky who were there and in Ed's case are there for years and years and years. It's got to feel like there's a fucking revolving door on the, uh, on the writer's room door. Yeah. So um, with the one shot, what is your creative role in basically what's going to be a one-time, one-event thing? Uh, it, it, mostly, I get I get all the fun parts. MSL and Poor Court they have to deal with you know sponsors and uh, setting up the on-demand platform deals and all of that stuff. I get to do what at least for me is fun. I you know I uh, help produce. I don't know if you've seen any of MLW three sixty. We're doing a, a countdown special leading to Shane Strickland versus Ricochet. That's turning out great. Uh, I've done uh, a couple of little surprise vignettes uh, with the boys that are going to air as part of the show. Um, and overall, sort of figuring out the creative trajectory, the type of stories we want to tell. We all come from a background um, where 
the type of wrestling we like, it varies, you know, like as the card shows, we have everything from comedy matches to high flyers to, uh, really good brawls with my, uh, podcast partner. Um, but, uh, who's, who's facing MVP is facing Sammy Callahan and they're, they're gonna, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be quite a spectacle. Um, but, but it's, it's putting together. One of the things we're very interested in is, uh, telling interesting stories of the type that attracted us to wrestling initially. So a lot of what I'm doing is sort of deep background story stuff in organizing uh, uh, what the presentation of the show is. And I'm also doing a lot of technical things, uh, uh, producing interviews and vignettes and things of that nature uh, behind the scenes. So it should be, I think it's going to be pretty fun. We're going to do a lot of shooting on Wednesday and uh, then the big show day is, Thursday and uh, it should be I, I think it's going to be a really spectacularly fun show for everybody who comes and everybody who watches it and gets to listen to Tony Schiavone on commentary for the first time in what 16 years it's an amazing kind of weird mix of who's who on this card but like all awesome because you have Ricochet versus Shane Strickland which is going to be good and MVP versus Sammy Callahan, uh, that's a match right now that I'm like, I've got to make sure I can try and get the uh, the video replay since I won't be able to make it to Orlando uh, in order to see that. But you you have a lot of newcomers on there or sort of mixed newcomers. So you have Jeff Cobb and Tom Lawler and Satana Garrett yeah, versus that one. I think that one's going to be a match nobody wants to sleep on either. That, you know, Jeff... Former Olympian, like I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I feel like I'm the barker here trying to talk people in, and we <laughs> have to. But it's, you know, former Olympian versus former ranked UFC fighter uh, who's really coming a long way in wrestling. I think it's going to be both inside and outside of kayfabe a really unique, exciting match uh, that I'm I'm super happy about. And then here, I'll, I'll go a little – here, we'll break kayfabe completely. The third person we talked to was was one of the last we got uh, on the show. Mia Yim versus Santana Garrett is going to be like – we've just seen the women's tournament we, uh, with WWE. We saw the both of them in it, and they didn't get to, get to touch. Um, I think it's going to be a match that blows people's doors off. Uh, Rosemary and Mia had one of my favorite matches this year already in their last knockout standing. And I think, look, I think she and Santana are going to go out there to try and steal the show and uh, make make WWE regret not signing them immediately. So uh, I think that's going to be a pretty hot match as well. And then you look down the card, like we've got all kinds of guys from the next generation. There's this kid, the MJF, uh, who's going to be facing Jimmy Yuta. Um, I've just started to turn on to both of these guys. And I- I'm telling you, both of these guys are going to be stars. Yuta has a feel of a young Ricky Steamboat. Like he sells like nobody's business. It's a guy who can tell a story in the ring. And MJF has charisma to spare. He's the he's in the business for two years. He already works like a like a ten year veteran, and his poise and command of language and tone and and the way to cut a promo to maximize heat is well beyond his years. Kid's like twenty two years old, uh, so I'm excited. Yeah, we have a gamut of longtime veterans. 
uh, guys who are hot on the indies right now. And I feel like the next generation of people who are going to sign to NXT uh, or, or, or any of the other big leagues, New Japan or wherever. Um, so it's a, it's a fun card top to bottom. J- Jason Cade and Darby Allen, uh, uh, who may or may not touch the ground for the entirety of their match. <laughs> I, it's funny. Cause I was going to mention the Maya Yim Satana Garrett match to me that like you were saying, I think that's going to be very good, but to the point where was there trouble deciding what was going to be the headliner at the end of the day, or maybe, maybe the second match. Or the the uh, second to the top of the card because second, that's a match to me that could easily headline this card or at least there would be debate about it. I I I feel the same way. It didn't. Uh, I cut myself off on on the story. So Mia was the third person we talked to, and because she was involved in the in the tournament, we were sort of for for obvious reasons. Everybody was sort of holding off, so she was one of the last people we signed. Oh, okay. Uh, Picking the main event, just because we didn't know what her availability was going to be, and neither did she, you know? Yep. Um, we, we knew the main event very early on because it was, it was you know, in the, in the famous late night conversation, Shane and Ricochet are two names that, that came up. Uh, we, we've known that they've had a relationship for a long time. Their styles are super complimentary. Like it was one of the first decisions that court made in putting the show together. So the main event was pretty, pretty easy. Um, once, uh, once I begged and pleaded, uh, properly to get, uh, to get MVP and come to work for us, um, <laughs> um, it, setting up he and Sammy was also, uh, uh, uh as the semi main was, was, very easy to do. And then organizing the rest of the card, uh, part of the, honestly going, going sort of meta and backstage, part of the fun of the process of setting up these shows is, you know, thinking about the ebb and flow of the shows that we have loved over the years. Like I'm a big fan of progress wrestling over in the UK and of, and of up in your neck of the woods of, of smash. I've just started getting into, and they do just a fantastic job of creating a real roller coaster over the, over the course of the card of, you know, a comedy match here, uh, of a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different styles of matches, that still managed to have a coherent uh, whole as a show. And that's been part of the fun of, you know, we've reorganized the match order um, a pretty fair degree, uh, uh, as people will see on the night, to try and just get the audience by the throat from the from the opening moments to the close of the show. And obviously you guys are going to judge whether we've succeeded, but playing with those puzzle pieces has just been a blast. So you've been out of sort of the the writing of wrestling for quite a while now at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, writing writing events like I I may or may not have shared an idea every now and then, but yeah, I haven't been a a wrestling writer since uh, Jesus more than ten years now. Two thousand six, I left WWE. So how's it been going back to that kind of mindset when you've been a screenwriter for all intents and purposes since then? Uh, it's been a fucking blast. Um, I feel much more comfortable um, as as both a producer and as a writer in, in this universe than I did when I was the head writer of a network show for WWE. It's just age and experience and having done a whole bunch of things. Um, but... 
it's been amazingly comfortable. Like uh, at WWE, um, there you write a whole lot of promos. In this uh, instance, a lot of what we've done, you know, you come in with an idea of what you want, and then in a lot of ways, it's very similar to improvisational theater, working with the guys to get to the place uh, uh, where things play the best. It's been like a really fun collaborative process as opposed to the top down process that we, that we endured at WWE. So I've, I've had nothing but a great time. Like the, the, the ease of transitioning into it has been super duper fun. And Hey, I'm mostly having to write a lot more, (laughs) you know, for in, on the film side, not having to write a word and just getting to get in there and improv and play with the guys and figure out, little character subtleties and, and little story elements that we can bring both to promos and uh, to the ring to sort of pay them off has been nothing but a blast. Like it's, it's night and day from, uh, from the experience at WWE. Um, Kind of following on the same sort of lines. I've kind of wondered because I'm, I'm obviously a big wrestling fan and I listen to a lot of the podcasts like yours and, uh, courts and I'm being from the Toronto area. I'm very familiar with the guys from the law. Yeah, of Um, course. What is it with people who have worked in the industry being, uh, I don't want to say addicted because that that seems to be, no, uh, no, no. I totally understand what you're saying though. Like my first, the funny thing I said when, when, you know, in, we had the long conversation on on Mania Weekend, MSL and and Court and me and and a few other folks. Um, and then once we knew this was happening, sort of late spring, early summer. Um, obviously, I say what everybody said: the quote from Godfather Three, right? Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back. <laughs> The thing is, I never stopped being a fan. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, yeah, I've written a lot of movies. I would be willing to bet that. Three quarters, four fifths of my my Twitter following is because of professional wrestling. You know, I tweet about it a lot. I watch it a lot. Um, and Mania Weekend was super inspiring. So I don't know if I'm addicted in the way that, um, it, like, I don't have the addiction to adulation of the crowd or that sort of thing. Yeah. I do love being a part of the business. A lot of my best friends are in the business either before or behind the camera. And, uh, I don't know. I'm excited to be back doing it. Like it's, uh, it feels, it feels like coming home. (laughs) You picked a hell of a show to come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's it's a super, uh, I mean, I'm getting to sit around and I mean, it's sort of like fan fiction, right? I get to sit around with my friends and, and instead of saying, I wish Vince would let us do X, Y, or Z, uh, that that we weren't uh, permitted to do, um, we get to just go and do it. You know, Court had an idea for a twenty four seven style special uh, way back at WWE. I can't even remember what the program was, and um, now we're getting to do that with Shane and, and Ricochet. And holy shit, Court was right all along. It really works like gangbusters to promote wrestling that way. Like it's a really intense drama between these guys in the in MLW three sixty. And um, being able to finally execute on some of those ideas has been great because, I mean, you're a fan. I'm a fan. We all say, what would I have done? This is sort of my and and our team's opportunity to say, well, let's see if all of the shit we say we would have done different 
uh, really is going to work as well as we say. So it's sort of a fun improvisational experiment. Uh, so I, I've got to know if, well, you may or may not be able to say this since it was, since going with the fan fiction idea, was there anybody that you guys wanted that you, you couldn't get that scheduling just didn't like, no, no harm, no foul, just that scheduling just couldn't work out for it or something like that. Oh, well, I mean, look, like, like, obviously if we had, uh, access to, to WWE talent, there's some people I would have liked to have <laughs> Um, there were a couple of guys who had commitments with, um, uh, a couple of guys who had commitments with major promotions that, that conflicted. We're running a Thursday night. So we actually sort of lucked into, we're running Thursday in Orlando. There aren't many shows at that point. Like most of the folks are going off for the weekend. So we have a good night for it. But there were a couple of folks who were involved in international travel that we couldn't get. And and look, let's be honest, there were a couple of folks that were too expensive. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, if if something comes along again, there's certainly a wide variety of people I would love to work with who I think are extraordinarily talented from this new generation of people. So uh, going from that to your podcast, um how did you end up with MVP and how did it end up? Um, one of the reasons I really like uh, the two of you and your show is it's not so much about wrestling, but it's by <laughs> no. people in the, like it, one of the weirdest things for me to figure out in the last little while or just dawn on me is out of every professional wrestler out there. The one that I have the most in common with in terms of pop culture stuff is MVP. I don't know. Uh, like, oh, I would have never guessed talk, it. You'd talk anime years. all day, I bet, right? Pardon? <laughs> you'd talk anime all day, right? <laughs> Not just that, the the fact that he and I are both big fans of Steely Dan. Oh, there you <laughs> that go. Gave us I, a little I got bit my of revelation on the Steely Dan show. Yeah, so um how did the your podcast come together? What was it just a natural fit or was there a little bit of uh moving back and forth or trying to convince MVP to do it or trying to convince you to do it for that. It, matter. Was, it was easy as pie. So I've been like at that point, I guess I'd done, I used to do uh, uh, the, the extraordinarily talented Robert Karpolis, uh WWE creative underscore ish on Twitter now does a show on, on uh, MLW called the writer's room. And I was the first host of that show. And, um, one t- I had MVP on because we've stayed in touch, you know, off and on over the years. Uh, we just always got along really well. I was I was head writer when he was just starting at the company. So like I produced a bunch of those uh, Teddy Long uh, putting shrimp out on the table and shit like that vignette. So we've we've been friends for a long time, but I had him on the writer's room. It was like he, Ed Ferrara, Court, and me just talking – talk about True North nerds, right? Just talking about the summer movie season. Yeah. And MP and I just went off waxing poetic about Mad Max Fury Road um, and it ended up sort of not stealing the show in the sense of we were so great. We stole the show. Stealing the show in the sense of we talked so much that nobody <laughs> nobody else could get a word <laughs> in headshots. And uh, uh, Court came and said, why don't you guys just do a show together? And, um, God, that's two years ago now that yeah, we've been like doing that. it. And uh, it, just, it just works really well. Like, here's the thing. A lot of the time, especially on the episodes that it's just Hassan and I, uh, MVP and I, um, this is the phone calls we make to each other 
while we may or may not be stoned <laughs> just talking music or ranting about politics or whatever. So the idea, you know, we have guests sometimes uh, uh, because we both know a lot of people in the business. But a lot of the times you really are just eavesdropping on two friends shooting the shit about whatever. Yeah, it's 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 oddly become one of my my favorite podcasts on the on the list of well one out of wrestling podcasts. It's probably my favorite, and oh, it has virtually so nothing to do with wrestling other than we get a bit of an update on MVP what he's done the last couple of days or the last weekend or whatever, and then you guys go into politics or you go into music or you go into movies and. It just so happens that the the three of us have very, very similar tastes. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad, firstly, I'm glad you fucking dig the show. Uh, and secondly, that is so kind of you to say. Thanks. You will you will have a delightful, uh, you will have a delightful hour this coming Sunday as we get back into it. Uh, um, MVP finally saw it and you get to hear me do the nerdiest rant on one little thing that I wish they would have done differently in the film. Um, and that's the sort of things we do. We go, we, we may talk about DACA here in the States a little bit and, uh, kneeling, kneeling in flags and Colin Kaepernick and, and, uh, yeah, we talk a lot about a lot of stuff. Oh, and, and here we do do wrestling talk this week. You get to hear us spend a lot of time talking about Roman Reigns and, and what his push means and why uh, the reasons for a lot of things. And it's just, it's the conversations you have with your friends, uh, except that we both worked in the business for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, uh, with your screenwriting, what's your workday like? I'm, I'm always curious about the workdays of, of other writers because my day job is a writer, just not um, fun writing, I guess this is the best way of putting it. I've, I've, I've had those gigs. I started out in advertising. I, was, I, I did topical promos for CNBC. It was one of my first paid writing gigs. Oh, okay. So I know, believe me, I know not, not fun writing at all. <laughs> With me, it's a, it, it's a weird um, – I, I have tried – whatever writing book or advice you have heard, I have tried at some point in terms of discipline, and here's the reality I've come to. Um, I don't get 10 pages a day unless I'm getting 10 pages a day. I don't start writing first thing in the morning unless it's a project where writing first thing in the morning is just kind of what happens – or writing late at night or whatever. Like every project is a little different and it just, the one thing I've noticed is when I start a project, I tend to work on it in the same way until that project is done. But one of the things I love about my job is I, you know, the, the last project I wrote was, was a 10 PM to 3 AM script. Um, it was horror, obviously. Um, and the thing I'm working on now seems to be about I get up, I get a cup of coffee, I put in two or three hours of work, and then it's done for the day. It'll take a little longer because you're not working on it for very long, but I don't have one sort of exclusive way that I work. Instead, it's sort of when when whether I'm hired on a project or whether it's an original piece, it just depends on what the project is as to how how I work on it. Uh and let's face reality, a lot of it is that five days before the deadline is really, really busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am fully aware of deadlines and how that can sometimes work, especially right? with the it's internet like, right I'll, in front I'll, of your laptop. Last possible second. <laughs> uh, 
Um, are do you have anything in the works that you're allowed to talk about? I know you're working on a number of projects, but is there anything that's kind of in production on the go that you're allowed to say anything about yeah, that? We oh, can oh, promote yeah, oh, yeah. No big secret projects or anything. It's just it's always funny. I did uh, I did Wade's show, Wade Keller's show uh, a little while back, and he's like, uh, you got anything you want to plug? In about a year, I'll have some stuff to plug. Right now, I've got a um, the in that article, the uh, the 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 article where I was where I, a forty four year old man, was named one of the top emerging screenwriters, which I find fucking hilarious. Well, you know, overnight success within twenty five <laughs> years, right? Very very slow overnight success. <laughs> I'm like whatever the opposite of an infant terrible is. But um, so one of the projects that's cited in in that article is. Uh, uh, my writing partner, Ben Powell, and I sold a project called The Vessel to uh, Richard Saperstein, who is a fucking amazing producer. He did Seven. He did The Mist. He did a, a whole list of movies that are on, on my I love these movies list, you know. Um, so he is in the process of attaching a director uh, that is finding the director who's going to shoot the script. And it looks like we're on course for production to begin. On It's a big uh, – I don't even know how you say it. A big uh, apocalyptic demonic possession cop story. <laughs> okay. Um, but it is theoretically looking like it's going to go into production next – well, not next month, but uh, uh, November. Um, so hopefully in the way these things turn around, it will be coming out – Oh. I would guess roughly a year later. So probably Halloween season next year. But I don't I have no idea. I don't know that for sure. So that's in process. And we've got another horror movie that is uh, in the process. It has a director on board and it's in the process of going to what are called packaging agents. They're the guys at the agency who pick sort of the top tier of actors to put into the movie. It's, it's only about a six million dollar movie. Funny to say only six million. So it's not sort of a list stars, but it's in the process of getting talent put together with the idea that they're going to shoot in January. It's a winter set, uh, uh, movie. Um, so I've got a bunch of stuff sort of in the works. <laughs> like I'm, uh, uh, just waiting for somebody to say, Hey, we're in production because I like to go and sit on the set and do what writers do on the set, which is I sit in the chair and I go to craft services and I play cheerleader for everyone because there's nothing really for me to do there. Hey, sometimes craft services can be the best part of a movie set. <laughs> I've been on a few sets where, where that is absolutely the case. I've written a few things where it's the best part of the movie. I got to do um, my my father's company had um, uh, he does golf carts, for lack of a better term. And uh, Pacific Rim, the first one shot in Toronto, and they got a bunch of carts from his company. So I got to sneak onto the set with my dad. Oh, they were cool. Dropping them off. And. The set was fantastic, but so was catering. Like, yeah, they had a catering, gourmet catering, grilled cheese bar. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you got you got to you got to keep going through the day. Oh it's yeah, just, I'm one of those guys. Like when I work a set, there are lots of people who graze all day. Like this was true. Like at WWE, I dropped down to like 162 pounds because I don't eat on production days. I'm too stressed out. I'm running around. I just I forget about it. And at WWE, it was so stressful all the time that I just forgot to eat. Like, 
sometimes for like I'd eat a bag of peanuts when we got to the hotel after Raw or whatever. Oh, I haven't been 162 pounds since I was like in eighth grade. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a grazer when I'm on the set. But I do see all of those things, and sometimes we'll grab a red vine. But that's that's about the limit of my craft services. I just live on coffee. So uh, before I let you go, um, our uh, listeners will are, are quite well aware I am in love with a film that I believe both you and uh, MVP are fans of, and that is Blade Runner. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, what's your feeling on the the sequel that's coming out? I'm well. I assume I'm scared the, in some I'm ways not, and excited I'm, in others. I am uh, on the side of big excitement. Um, first off, uh, Hassan and I are both uh, you know reasonably close, not like best friends or anything, but we have gotten enough hints from Dave Batista um, that we have very very high hopes. This first round of reviews has been spectacular. All these spoiler freeze are coming out. They must be doing test screenings or something. Yeah. Um, the reviews are great. And Arrival was my favorite movie last year. Like I have a a great deal of faith in Dennis um, Vill- Villanueva. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last uh, name. Villeneuve, maybe. Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, I, I I loved Arrival. I thought the tone was just right. You can totally see why this guy was picked for Blade Runner. I have nothing but high hopes. Like I am very excited to see it. I almost worry that it's going to be a little bit like The Dark Tower, that my expectations are so high that I'm going to be let down. Oh, uh, okay. Um, that's my only worry because right now I'm just high as I can be on it. I can't wait to see it. The three short films they've released are just magnificent. I haven't watched the animated one, but the the other two have been really good. And uh, I like his career trajectory right now is going very well. But uh, Batista after this movie, if like if he doesn't get cast like in eight movies after this, right in a row. <laughs> the trouble is, he's already in like eight movies. I think he's on Avengers four right now. Yeah, which second. Yes, Avengers 4, I think, is what they're shooting right now, um, which may be a spoiler. I don't know. I think I don't think that's a spoiler. I don't think I've ruined anything for anyone. Um, so he's shooting that right now. He's got like we've talked about it. There are two or three in various stages of post-production that are going to come out in addition to Blade Runner. He's already got two or three beyond that in the can. Like Dave is not going to stop working. And it's nothing I'm. I am delighted and he totally deserves it. Like even some of these little indies he's done like Bushwick, which just came out on, um, on demand. I think it's on like iTunes and Amazon. Um, it's just great. Like, and, and with Dave's success, it really is. It's one of those, Oh, this is the least surprising thing because he like people, especially back in my day there, like Vince was so about him being the strong silent type, um, that you missed how glib and funny and, uh, aware and how smart this guy is. I, for one, like I'm, I'm delighted for Dave's success and, uh, I'm ready for us to get old and fat because we, we've made the agreement that when we are, we were, we are both in our sixties and old and out of shape, we are going to do a production of, uh, Henry the fourth part one and two with him playing Falstaff and it will blow everyone's minds. (laughs) That's an interesting thought. Uh, it, it's a, I'm telling you right now, he's going. He will be the definitional, the guy who's not named Orson Welles, most closely associated with that part. It's weird. Um, I saw a report this morning that was talking about uh, 
the guy who's directing the new Thor movie looks to be directing the the live action adaption of Akira, which no kidding, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how I feel about that, but one of the weird casting things in my head was just like as soon as I read that, I'm like, okay, if they're Americanizing it, or even if they're not really, Batista should be the general guy. Like, oh, he's he a totally big should. guy I, who can act perfect. really well and do like that can be stern but soft at the same time he'd be perfect in that role yep. and i finding that more and more the more i see him pop up and like you know it's like he, what's kevin smith's thing about ben affleck you could play the shark in jaws it's <laughs> well the cool thing about about dave is like one of the one of the things i've been in his ear and i talk about it everywhere i think the next step for dave uh uh when you look at this sort of career trajectory he's on um i think he should do like a cool indie romantic comedy i think uh and certainly judging from my my wife's reaction to him every time we fucking met the guy i think he <laughs> appeals to an audience uh uh, uh, uh uh the the female audience in a way that hasn't been tapped yet um and i think you put dave in a romantic comedy it just it does what the disney comedies did for rock 10 years ago it just opens up a whole new avenue for him but um Dave may someday want to come back and work a match. Talk, talk about guys I'd love to bring in for the MLW show. <laughs> Dave may one day want to uh, come and do a match uh, if he ever feels like it. He will never have to do that again. It would purely be for love of the game because he's one of the busiest and most in-demand guys in Hollywood. And his his notoriety is just going to keep increasing because he's really fucking good at his job. Yeah, no, that's... It's been one of the, the great things to see is that, um, you know, being a wrestling fan, sometimes you get derailed a little bit, especially when these guys end up acting as, you know, because everybody thinks of um, Hogan's acting career. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, no, some of these guys are really good. Like, the the Rock in Be Cool, which in my mind is a terrible movie. It was a sequel that yeah. never needed to be made. The Rock is the best part of that movie. Yep. Like he's a really good actor and um and with Batista it's like you just see that short film for Blade Runner I have no idea how much he's going to be in the the full film but I I'm hoping it's a lot get or at least a good chunk given that short film because it it pulled me into his character enough that I really want to see more of it. Right and that's like one of the things that Dave can do cuz this happened with Drax too. Remember that first emotional scene with Drax in Guardians 1? Dave has the ability to be utterly the super stoic badass, but there's some like, and, and I don't know the craftsmanship that goes into it, but there's something about the way he can soften his face and the way and the, and the look he can get in his eyes that can give you a real sense of pathos. Like his, whatever acting lessons uh, uh, he took were put to very good use. Cause he's got a whole toolbox of, of, of things he can do. And to your broader point about WWE stars, like it's or, or that is wrestling stars going into movies rather. Um, you see, like Austin didn't translate to screen. He just he didn't. Um, Cena early on didn't translate at all. And age has worked really well on Cena, both both in terms of his look and his talent and his his ability. He was gut bustingly hilarious in Trainwreck. Um, and he's. He's not looked at as the wrestler host on today when he co-hosts. Like they'll do those gags once in a while, but he's just a, a sort of 
he's falling into the he's America's dad uh, kind of role. I think Cena is going to have a great deal of success rolling forward uh, in his career as well. WWE, I found this in my career too. WWE is a boot camp for creative people. And yeah, maybe this is the place to close, right? Yeah, it can feel like prison when you're in there. But I've taken the skill set that I acquired and developed at WWE and um, have made a pretty fucking comfortable career for myself. And I think you see that both among the boys and among the guys who've come through there and continue to, you know, Chris Roach runs Big Brother, which is a huge reality franchise. Uh, Krista Joseph runs Lucha Underground, is that key creative force of Lucha Underground. And before uh, that, he was with Cirque du Soleil or something, too, wasn't he? Like a completely different, uh, or am I thinking of somebody else who was WWE? I think you must be thinking of someone else, Chris, un- unless Chris has a secret career as a trapeze artist. That no, I'm it, on- it wasn't, it was with like publicity or it, it was something behind the scenes not uh not a totally totally within the realm of possibility i'm not aware of it if he did my point is just and you know uh andrew goldstein runs a show on uh on mtv2 like a lot of the folks who come out of that program i mean we know with court he's been all over the place ufc and strike force and and all all kinds of stuff in mixed martial arts uh he's gotten me gigs in mixed martial arts and i know nothing about it um it's uh, WWE is a great place to to sort of learn, learn your stripes, both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, and it gives you because you're working so much, it gives you a work ethic. I've never worked as hard at, on a gig in my life, including landscaping in high school, you know, like <laughs> real, real actual jobs. Never worked harder, but it's made every job since a little bit easier. Like I don't, I don't, I would run around sweating my ass off, freaked out uh, uh, with Vince McMahon yelling at me. <laughs> um, never, never broke that kind of sweat on, on a job sense. Like every, everything after WWE is a little bit easier. And that was Alex Greenfield. Um, it, it was a really fun interview. I think Alex is one of those guys who's, had a very unique career path, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to him. Um, if you are interested at all at what Alex is doing, uh, his movie The Sands, it's a, kind of a horror movie. Well, not kind of. It's a horror movie. <laughs> um, is available on a couple uh, VOD services in the States. As far as I can tell, it's not on Netflix up here. Um, just take a look around for it. It's on iTunes, stuff like that. Um, beyond that, if you're interested in the wrestling side of things, his podcast, The VIP Lounge, uh, with the ro- <laughs> okay, let me uh, try and do a wrestling announcer voice. With the Ronin of Pro Wrestling MVP, um, you can uh, find that podcast and a whole bunch of other pod- wrestling podcasts at uh, mlw.com. And there's a whole network on there. There's this called the VIP Lounge. It's my favorite out of the lot. And if you're interested in the event, that Alex is working behind the scenes at, you can go to MLW.TV. Right now they've got a bunch of promo videos leading up to the uh, the big show in uh, in uh, on October the 5th. And uh, beyond that, after the show is aired, I believe it's 72 hours afterwards, the show will be up for uh, purchase at that site as well. 
So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this interview. Hopefully we'll have Alex back. He was a lot of fun. Um, I kind of want to get his thoughts for the end of the year show when we talk about our favorite movies of the entire year and stuff like that because his movie knowledge is really cool and it's very similar to ours. So until the next episode, take care. And now something completely different. A quick hello from me. It's Jeff Woods, radio guy, a writer, Brent's friend and associate. Used to do the Legends of Classic Rock, which morphed into the Records and Rockstars radio series, which is heard on Rock 95 and Barry Sunday evenings at 9. Same time, Q107 Toronto on Sunday evenings. And I wrote a book called Radio Records and Rockstars, and it's time to do the audiobook now. And as you might imagine, 400 pages deep, rich with music, Artist interviews, too. Takes a lot of time and production and money. So I've started a GoFundMe campaign. And you can find out more about it at jeffwoodsradio.com. Thanks. Thanks.